In this digital first world, the old ways of recruiting are becoming obsolete. Or are they? The talent demands on every business has put TA squarely in the hot seat. Welcome to Talent Acquisition in the Trenches, a real dialogue podcast with talent acquisition pros closest to the front line. We want to talk to our peers who are actually doing the heavy lifting day in and day out. You're going to learn what their biggest challenges are and how they're being solved. I'm your host, Matt Reimer, and I'm here to talk about TA. I've been in TA for over 20 years, and what I know is that I don't know. I'm here to listen and learn just like you, no scripts, just real dialogue. Talent Acquisition in the Trenches is powered by NACR, the preeminent association for healthcare recruitment professionals focused on education, networking, and providing resources to enable our members to become strategic business partners in the ever-changing healthcare environment. My friends call me Reimer, so friends, let's create some new riffs with Reimer. Thanks for trenching in. Today's guest is Teresa Mazzaro. Teresa is the president of NACR and senior talent acquisition specialist at Johns Hopkins Healthcare with over 30 years of TA, nursing, healthcare, and military experience. We get into a wide range of topics in this episode, including talking about Teresa's journey and path into talent acquisition, which started in a hospital, moved into phlebotomy and pharmacy, and then eventually getting her degree in nursing. We also talk a lot about how we, as talent acquisition professionals, serve the bedside. And specifically, we talk about what we should be doing when we are making offers to new talent. In addition to a, a lot of other things that we talk about, we also talk about Teresa and her planning for Knacker's National Conference in Austin in July. Teresa, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, happy to have you in the trenches with me here. And uh, I've been uh, looking forward to, to this uh, episode. So, I want to start in maybe a different place. Um, I, you know, I get a chance to interview, um, you know, a ton of talent acquisition professionals, which you are one. I mean, we'll, we'll get into that. But, um, you know, out on LinkedIn, uh, there's a lot of letters after your name. And the two most important letters are not most important, but the two letters I want to dig into here is RN. And so mm -hmm. you're the first um, nurse that I've had on the show. And so what, what I wanted to understand uh, was, how did you get into nursing? Uh, and so maybe <laughs> tell me a little bit about that so folks can kind of understand your, your clinical background. Sure. And then uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about your transition into talent acquisition. Absolutely. So it's a long story that I'm going to make very short for the sake of time. All right. Uh, I went in the Air Force when I was 17 years old. Okay. And for anybody who knows me knows I would have never thought of healthcare as a as an option. I wanted to my father was in the Navy. He flew on the back of P3s. I wanted to be a spy. I get there, the recruiters like look at the jobs that could be available. Mm -hmm. Well, there's the operative word could. I, I learned to listen now much better and don't sign anything on the bottom line. But I went in um, as an enlisted person into the Air Force active duty. And the job that landed at my feet, the one that was the most palpable, because honestly, being a fuel specialist and refueling jet planes wasn't at the top of my list either, mm -hmm. but that was one of the jobs that mm -hmm. I had. Um, but it was a diet therapy technician. So that's mm -hmm. my first job in the hospital. And I worked in diet therapy. So I actually got to know the whole food and nutrition services piece. When I got out of active duty and I moved and I joined the Air National Guard, 
I went into military public health, again, in the healthcare space, which was mm -hmm. amazing. And on the civilian side, so, you know, think about it when you're in the Guard and Reserves and hands off, hats off to anybody who's doing this, you work two jobs. Sometimes mm -hmm. it feels like three jobs. So my civilian job started off as a pharmacy tech, and then I became a phlebotomist. And it was a, an episode in the emergency department where I helped sort of I felt like I helped save somebody's life that I was mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm going to go become a nurse. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, you can't do that. I was like, oh, yes, I can. And 30 years ago, graduated from nursing school. And in the guard side of things, I was enlisted still working in military public health. And on the guard side, they said you could work in the clinic or we have this opportunity on a C-130 as a C-130 flight nurse. And I was oh, like, wow. oh, I'll be doing that. So is a flight nurse similar? I was wondering this this morning. Is that similar to like a life flight nurse or is that something different? It's very different in the military. There's mm -hmm. there's two or three different levels of flight nursing. Um, a C-130 is one of those planes that actually used to be in Pittsburgh where you are. Yeah. Um, C-130 is the one that can drop troops out, can drop you know supplies, but then reconfigure for an aerovac mission. So mm -hmm. it's a we used to, you know, down and dirty with the C-130, right? Like mm -hmm. we're just all over the place. And it's short runway takeoffs, really a workhorse. They've been around since probably the 50s, if, mm -hmm. not, if not later. Um, but that was my military job. So that was my part-time job. Felt mm -hmm. like a full-time job sometimes. But then in the civilian side, you know, working as a nurse, my whole goal in life was to get to critical care. And it's so funny how life just brings you on this journey. So I started off in a very small ICU and I, we used to float to the emergency department when we didn't have patients. That's how small the hospital was. Hmm. And then I, I wanted to go to the big hospital where we were transporting all of our patients, got there. And within probably about two or three years, I was like, you know what? I don't like ICU nursing. Mm -hmm. The patients are all intubated. I want to be around people. Mm -hmm. I'm, if anybody who knows me, I'm a people person, right? Yeah. I want to be around people. And I pivoted to an interesting role, um, which actually led me to move to Pittsburgh. I was a hospice nurse. Okay. So I took care of patients on one spectrum mm -hmm. to the opposite. And then I got into doing cancer outreach education. I used to work at Mercy Cancer Institute in Pittsburgh before mm -hmm. it became a UPMC um, facility. And that was amazing because then I was helping people in my mind not get to hospice, right? Let's diagnose you early with cancer so you don't end up in hospice so we mm -hmm. can save you. And it was it was an interesting journey. Um, I, I haven't touched a patient, you know, nobody wants me touching them as a nurse. I could give mm -hmm. you advice all day long. It's been many years since I've been at the bedside. I do still do a little bit. Active? I do. I was just going to say, I still do some work. I keep my license active. Do I, I do more like free clinic type stuff. So mm -hmm really helping out in local community where I live and really just trying to do the best that I can to kind of have some awareness. But mm -hmm. yeah, once a nurse, always a nurse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I keep my license active. Um, and I mean, it's been a journey, but it's kind of funny how you go from one thing to the next in the world of nursing mm -hmm. and how it just sort of opens your eyes to all the opportunities. I, I tell nurses that all day long, you know, we're so lucky that we could do all the different things that we can. Mm -hmm. When did you decide to, to go towards talent acquisition or recruitment? Like when did, when did that idea sure. come uh, into your, to your mind that that was actually a thing? And then sure. when, when did you make that move? 
So I had moved out west. I was living out in Washington State, mm -hmm. and I was actually working for a biotech company as a, we're going to call it a clinical nurse consultant. I had gotten mm -hmm. into wound care as a home care and hospice nurse. So I did both for a time. Um, you know, sometimes you work like two or three jobs, right? Nurses, are, we're all over the place. Mm -hmm. So because I was getting really proficient and good with wound care, I went to work for a company teaching wound care. And then I got connected with this other company that was doing really cutting edge sort of medical, you know, um, medical work with folks with like vascular disease and things mm. like that. So I was all over the place working for biotech and then pharma and in the pharmaceutical world, lots of layoffs, lots of uncertainty, lots of stress. And I will never forget, I was coming home from a trip from, from I think, Arizona back to Washington State. And I saw it was a Nurseweek magazine back in the day when there used to be paper magazines. Uh, back in 2005, I saw this opening for a nurse recruiter. Hmm. And I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm a nurse. I've been in the military. I've done sales. I can do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I applied, submitted my resume. And the funniest thing in the world is, God bless her, the HR person who was hiring the hiring recruiter for this position position didn't want to talk to me mm -hmm. because a I didn't have a BSN hmm. and I didn't have any HR experience mm -hmm. now I had a BA I had an RN luckily the person who was now the manager who used to be the nurse recruiter said let me just take a look at some of these resumes that you're passing on mm -hmm. and she just said her name is Libby she's awesome she's like Teresa's been a nurse she's in sales and she was in the military. She's done a lot. Yeah. Maybe we could teach her HR. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She's got great, uh, you know, great training from the military. She is a nurse and she, she's selling, you know. So, yeah, maybe yeah. I might want to give her a shot, give her a look. And and that was my first experience with rewriting hmm. a job description to fit somebody's strengths. Yeah, yeah. So that's 17 so they, years ago. That's, so you've been in talent acquisition for, for for 17 years now. I have, yeah. And you, you've and I, worked with some big brands too, right? I um, have, so yeah. Peace Health, uh, you know, see on the resume, Advent, or is that that's Adventist, Adventist, Adventist Healthcare, which is in Maryland. So okay, they're Maryland, so not, DC. That's not Advent down in Florida that we know and love. No, big, okay, no, right. big, big. Uh, it's a smaller um, individual, and of course, I, I've been having that conversation with those folks. Anytime you travel, they're like, "Oh, Advent Health." I'm mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. No Adventist healthcare, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's okay because it's all connected. But yeah. yeah, I was I was tasked and hired to help them start a new grad nurse residency program mm -hmm. and an externship, which was an amazing experience. And then I was fortunate enough to go to Suburban Hospital, which is one of the community hospitals part of Johns Hopkins Health System. Yeah. And now I find myself on the most unique journey of all. I'm on the payer side mm -hmm. of Johns Hopkins um, healthcare, so mm -hmm. I am learning completely new jobs and, and working with managers and learning a whole new language, you know, things like what's payment integrity? What's, what's a DSNP yeah. nurse compliance auditor? Yeah. <laughs> what, so, so you've got, you've got, uh, you know, all of this experience, this great experience and, and kudos for really a, a, a an amazing career to date. And what we're going to talk about your role at Knacker and, and, sure. you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, what you do for that organization. But th there's one thing that, that I'm curious about. Um, and, and so, um, you know, in most talent acquisition teams, 
you know, there um, may or may not be um, nurse recruiters that have clinical background. Okay. And so from your perspective, you know, what are some things that, you know, maybe having that clinical background enables you to do, right? Um, And so it it enables you to understand or do as it relates to being a nurse recruiter. What, What value does that create, number one? And then number two, if, if, if I'm a nurse recruiter listening to this today and I don't have that background, right? What are some things that you would coach me on to, to go learn, to go do, to go think about, to, to be a better nurse recruiter? Absolutely. Absolutely. So from the, na- from the perspective of being a nurse, right? So very easy for me because I'd never done recruitment, but I understood nursing and I could mm-hmm. speak the language. The language is the most important thing. And mm-hmm. I, I'm the person who can tell you now working on the payer side, I'm learning a new language, right? Mm-hmm. Now, when you um, say language, what do you mean by that? I mean, like I, it was very easy for me to go meet with the ICU director, mm-hmm. right? The critical care director. I'd been a critical care nurse. I knew the temperament of the people she wanted to hire. Mm-hmm. I could talk the talk about, you know, what's taver mean? What's a, you know, what's a cabbage? Mm-hmm. What are these terms? I, and I used to drill down on equipment mm-hmm. because I found like when I was recruiting in the OR, they want to know what the equipment is. So finding, mm-hmm. doing a really good intake session is my advice to anybody, whether you have a nurse background as a nurse recruiter or whether you're a nurse who's a nurse recruiter, mm-hmm. doing a great intake session is the number one thing you can do. Mm-hmm. But I'll give you an example of talking the language. So I went to recruit and I was recruiting for the mother, baby, labor and delivery, kind of that LDRP, you know, realm in the world of a hospital. I've, I've not, I don't have children. I've never had a child. I've never recruited for that area. And when they were talking about one of their first questions they like to ask a candidate is, how do you describe the perfect birthing experience? That was foreign to me. Mm-hmm. That was a foreign concept to mm-hmm. me because in nursing school, I watched a couple of births, right? Yeah. And that was it. So yeah. It's connecting with the managers that are hiring for the positions and really doing a deep dive and understanding that somebody who works in oncology has a different skill set and a different temperament, even in a personality, mm-hmm. than somebody who works on a stroke unit versus mm-hmm. somebody who works in a trauma, you know, ED mm-hmm. versus somebody who's a hospice nurse, right? Yeah. So it's really about connecting with those managers and even sometimes doing a shadow if you can, if you have the luxury to do a shadow, Mm -hmm. just to watch and see. Um, I I think that's what's helped me along the way. So like if I'm starting in a nurse recruitment, maybe that persona, um, shadowing, um, you know, uh, along the unit, spending time with the the unit leaders, the, the, you know, the hiring managers, if you can, any other kind of tips and tricks on how to quickly get up that, that, that ladder? Sit in on the sit in on the interviews. If you're in Mm -hmm. person or even if you're on a Zoom, sit in on the interviews. Listen to the interviews because you're going to learn so much. You'll learn about things like ratios, right? You'll learn Mm -hmm. about like, for instance, you know, med surge, people cringe when they hear eight to one. Well, what Mm -hmm. does eight to one mean? Right? Mm -hmm. Take notes Mm -hmm. that and understand what the ratios should be. What does eight to one mean? Yeah, eight to one's not good. Eight to one means there's eight eight patients to one nurse. 
Um, and unless you have a, a great support team underneath you, like maybe LPNs or, or patient care techs or CNAs, that's too much, it's right? It's a hard ratio so to run. It's a hard ratio to do. And so mm -hmm. you need to do your little bit of research. I, I actually did a lot of research for the positions and the areas where I didn't work as a nurse, just mm -hmm. so I could understand. That way, when the nurse candidates are calling or when I'm calling them and I'm talking to them, I want I don't want them... Well, we're getting into the next step here, but I don't want them to have any questions. Mm -hmm. Like really, I want to answer every single question they have before they even get to the hiring manager, yeah. right? Like that to me is a successful connection that I've made with them. That's great. So let's yeah. take the reverse of that question. <clears throat> you know, what, what are some things that as, you know, so if I'm a nurse today and I'm listening to this, right, and I want to become a recruiter, what are some things over that, you know, 17 years of experience that have um, been maybe formative to you uh, as it relates to, you know, being a professional recruiter sure. and, uh, you know, as a, um, you know, and, and a leader uh, as well? Yeah. So I think that, you know, even as a new nurse recruiter who was a nurse, I still needed to learn all about recruitment, right? Mm -hmm. So immediately I joined my local NACR chapter, NACR mm -hmm. being the National Association of Healthcare Recruiters. And then right after that, I joined the national chapter back in 2005. Mm -hmm. And it was really about having people who were subject matter experts that I could lean on. Okay. I did every webinar I could. I attended every conference I could. I, I read articles, I signed up for, you know, all kinds of information that could be pivoted towards me via email that I could read on my own time. I, I think that belonging to your professional association, I think nurses actually can really get this, right? Mm -hmm. How many nurses do you know belong to their critical care nurses association or their med surge nurses association? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing in recruitment. Belong to your professional association because that's what's going to give you the skills the knowledge and the connections, honestly, with the people to help you, you know, fine tune and hone in on your mm -hmm. skill set. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that the the training that exists there and the network there was critical to you. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I did a recruiting one hundred and one class, like at my first conference that I went to, and that really helped me kind of understand some of the HR laws mm -hmm. and rules that I didn't know about. Mm -hmm. Now, I also went and did an, an HR kind of certification course on my own. It wasn't like a college degree, but it was just something that I wanted to do so I could understand compensation and benefits and and all of those types of things as well. So you're on the payer side right now. Are you still, you know, recruiting care case managers or are you doing other positions? Oh, I recruit. Oh, no, I recruit for nurses. I recruit mm -hmm. for physicians. I recruit for a lot of financial folks, analyst type positions, IT positions, mm -hmm. Uh, director level type roles. The medical directors and the nurses are kind of fun because it's a different kind. And mm -hmm. word to the wise to all of you folks that are in a hospital setting, every time I post a utilization review nurse position, I get about 100 candidates. Really? There are nurses that are at the bedside mm -hmm. that are looking to leave yeah. the bedside. Yeah. I mean, that's indicative of a lot that's going on out there. Do you think that's one of the major trends or challenges that we're seeing in healthcare recruitment today? I think that this post-pandemic phase that we're in, and I, I, I can't even, you know, it's post-pandemic, but mm -hmm. we're still in COVID, right? Mm -hmm. We're still there. We still have patients. We still monitor everything. We're still mm -hmm. taking all those precautions. But I think it really made people reprioritize and really look at what's important to them. And I think that 
uh, even folks that went out and traveled, like respiratory therapists and nurses and even patient care techs that decided they were going to, you know, cash in, if you will, on the travel assignments that were given the opportunity to take during the pandemic, they got pretty burned out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for some folks, it was like, I need to get away from this. Mm-hmm. And for others, they realized that I really want to be at home when my kids get home. I don't mm-hmm. want to work a 12 hour shift anymore. So I think we're faced with that. And we're also faced with the supply issue. There just aren't enough nursing programs. There aren't enough nurses that are, are going to the profession. Mm-hmm. And we really do need to, you know, think about what that looks like for our future and mm-hmm. how do we how do we maybe, and I've seen organizations do this so well, where they're like, you know, if we can't hire a nurse, let's hire two CNAs or patient yeah. care techs to help the heavy lift, right? Yeah. Let's help them out that way and bringing back LPNs into acute yeah. care. Yeah, um, we're seeing that and I'm hearing that, you know, the more that we talk to seeing the LPNs show up and we're also starting yeah. to hear about, uh, you know, even quote unquote virtual nurses. And so, um, you know, finding ways to creative ways to, you know, kind of give more span, you know, of a, of a licensed nurse. Uh, and that's something actually Trinity is, is, uh, is doing here as well, which is, which I find interesting. I, uh, my first, my first preceptor working in the big hospital where I was recovering open heart patients was a mm-hmm. surgical ICU. She was an LPN. Mm-hmm. Like amazing. That was not, that was 1992. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about virtual, so I was at a NTI critical care conference pre-pandemic and met a group of folks that basically ran a telemedicine program. Nurses and physicians would move to Australia mm-hmm. and they would do a rotation, like a travel rotation. Instead of 13 weeks, they typically did 26 weeks mm. And they would cover night shift back here in the States Mm -hmm. for rural clinics, you know, rural, I mean, clinics, but rural hospitals. And they would be available to give advice, to monitor, to give orders, because there were physicians to critical care nurses that Mm -hmm. otherwise might not have had that support system in Mm -hmm. place. So it was pretty amazing and innovative what people are doing. And how cool is that, that you could live in Australia for a few weeks or a couple of months, work work day shift there, which is our night shift, and you're you're taking care of patients at the same time. Totally. You said something there that was, um, you know, kind of interesting to me to maybe from your perspective, what, why don't, why, why do you think that more um, folks coming out of high school and college are not going to into nursing? Like what, what do you think that that's just an overall demographic trend that, you know, that you're seeing? I mean, it's not like uh, we weren't struggling with this idea pre COVID because we were struggling right. with that then we just now are really struggling with it. And, and so um, I had this in- interesting uh, conversation with um, you know, Kurt Stillwagen at Wellspan here a few weeks ago, and, and he just was talking about, from his perspective, how important um, you know education and, and kind of carrying the clinical message into the high schools is, yeah. from his perspective. I, I just was curious, from your perspective, you know, why do you think folks aren't navig- you know, moving to us uh, as, a, as an industry? I think that there's the pre-pandemic and post-pandemic conversation, right, to be mm-hmm. had about this. I think that so many so many people are looking for balance. Mm-hmm. So many people are looking for better quality of life. Interestingly enough, you know, my generation is is all about the work, it's all about the dedication, mm-hmm. it's all about the loyalty, it's all about getting it done. 
and not that those are good or bad traits, but I feel like today people want, people want to say, you know, I'd like to go on a sabbatical. Mm -hmm. I'd like to have, you know, a couple weeks off to go work a mission if I am in the clinical space, mm -hmm. or I'd like to work somewhere where I could be remote. And then I could be wherever I want to be across the world or across the country to do my job. So when you're in the clinical side of things, you are at the bedside, right? So you're you in the hospital. Yeah. You have to be physically there. I think that organizations that can understand, I think a lot of faith-based organizations are really good at this, where they allow people to take time to go do a ministry, right? Mm -hmm. To go do a mission somewhere to take, and, and that doesn't count as vacation time, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you support people's kind of altruistic side and help them to have better balance? How do you help them to understand that they are cared for and then get into those high schools and really start talking about all of the cool things that you mm -hmm. can do? I mean, being a nurse at the bedside was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. um, going into people's homes as they're, as they're dying, actively dying, was a gift that um, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm just going to start crying here for a second. Um, it's a gift that I will never, ever forget. Mm -hmm. I remember every single person I took care of for the four plus years that I did that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's such a reward, you know, mm -hmm. um, but it's just hard. It's, it's hard work. Mm -hmm. I think I see people that are new, uh, new graduate nurses, they come into it eyes excited they're mm -hmm. you know i don't know if they're naive i don't know i don't know but it's it's not easy yeah. and then of course if you started as a new nurse and you're in the middle of a pandemic oh my goodness right like what a what a time and of course they want to leave they're like i don't want to be at the bedside anymore this is horrible this is the worst experience ever when mm -hmm. when you know bodies are piling up in a hospital and you can't keep up right and you're just exhausted yeah. so it's like organizations that can help with self-care. I'm going to throw this shout out to the chief nursing officer at Suburban Hospital, Leanne Sedone, her and her leadership team. It's the one thing that I felt like, I, it's funny, I was actually going into the hospital every day working mm -hmm. as a recruiter during the pandemic. Everybody pivoted to home and I was the one going in. And the, the caring that comes from leadership, when you feel that, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like that's a big deal. Now, did we still lose people that went off and they either traveled or they, they wanted to stay home because they had somebody who was immunocompromised? Of course. Mm -hmm. But it's really about feeling that caring, understanding the path. It's funny. I, I talk about it as a candy crush sort of uh, game philosophy for succession planning. Mm -hmm. People want to know what's the next step. How do I get there, right? So if they do get into healthcare, and it doesn't have to be nursing, it could be any part of healthcare. Mm -hmm. They want to know how do I get to the next step? How do I grow? How do I go to you know what is my path look like? Mm -hmm. And you have to start doing that sooner than later in order to keep them engaged and keep them within your organization. Hmm. You know it, 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 that um, you know conversation that that you just put out there. You know, kind of made me really reflect on something. And, and it's this idea that, you know, most, and, and I'm just going to take the talent acquisition lens because that's the one that I know, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a clinical professional, right? Um, I, I did have the experience. And one of the things that moved me towards healthcare um, was, um, you know, some end of life care that, that I um, uh, helped with with my grandmother. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, um, hearing you talk about your hospice experience and, and she had Alzheimer's 
And um, you know, my family was scrambling to take care of her. I got out of college. I didn't have a job. I said, absolutely, I'm going to do that. That really stuck with me um, because I, you know, I, I spent three months with her, helped my family kind of get everything, you know, reorganized. And then I was with her um, when she passed away. And um, seeing you um, get emotional, you know, just uh, for that brief moment, it, it reminds me how important it is for us as, as talent acquisition professionals that maybe don't have that clinical experience to always be pausing and to be ensuring that we are empathizing and, and really trying our best um, to, to put ourselves in the clinical professional's shoes that we're either A, supporting, so the hiring managers, um, or B, we're recruiting, um, you know, nurses and the clinicians or whatever. They're, they're seeing some stuff and, yeah. and they are carrying some things um, with, with them. And that, that was a, and, and I, I don't mean to keep going back to Kurt, but he and I had such a good conversation and, and, you know, he reminded me uh, of, of this um, yet again. It's just this idea of like, every time we go into a hiring manager conversation where we're, we're trying to, uh, you know, get interviews done and we're trying to get time to fill under control and we're trying to get offers out the door. We've got an agenda. We have to pause for a moment and realize that that hiring manager, clinical hiring manager, might just be coming out of a near life or death yeah. situation. And, and now they're needing to recalibrate in a moment's notice and start talking business recruitment with you. And so, I, you know, I just, I, I really, um, I really felt, um, you know, that when, when you, when you threaded that, and I, I think it's important for us all to reflect on. I think healthcare recruiters, no matter what the role is, um, I think about it, like think about somebody who's hiring a respiratory therapist mm -hmm. or somebody who's hiring um, a CT tech or somebody who's hiring a nurse or a physician or somebody who's hiring a member services rep that you're calling into about your insurance claim, mm -hmm. right? So we have to think about if if my mom, right? I always mm -hmm. think everything goes back to my mom. If my mom were that patient, mm -hmm. would I want that respiratory therapist taking care of my mother? Yeah, totally. Would I want that CT tech when my mom gets squirrely confused and, and, and is thrashing all over the place when she fractured her pelvis mm -hmm. back in February? Who do I want that person to be? Yeah. And we could have time to fill, but if we're hammering on the manager to hire somebody and we call, you know, those pulse hires don't mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. They don't work. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, our, our critical care director at Suburban, Kim Kelly, love, love, love. You know, I, I was, uh, I used to keep a spreadsheet, like reds were the people we didn't hire, but interviewed and greens were the people we hired and yellows were people we had scheduled. I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a stoplight person. Mm -hmm. I had more red than green. Mm -hmm. She interviewed a lot of people and it took us two or three intake sessions for me to really understand what she was looking for. And then I didn't even bother presenting the candidates that I knew she wasn't mm -hmm. going to like, mm -hmm. but I'll tell you what, if I need to be in the ICU, I want to be in her ICU. That's where you want to go. Yeah. Do people get frustrated with 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 some of her actions where it's like, well, you, why aren't you hiring this person? They've got skills. And it's mm -hmm. like, mm, well, you know, let's trust the person who's doing the job because she's also right there, like you said, at the bedside yeah. with them. And I've been in a meeting with her and a code will take place and she doesn't even excuse herself. She just gets up and goes. Mm -hmm. Right. Totally. Like that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Join hundreds of your healthcare TA peers and enjoy the benefits of a NACR membership today. 
free educational webinars, access to our listserv, and discounts to your CHCR certification. All of this and much, much more for as low as $80 per person annually. Learn more at knacker.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. So we're a half hour in. Um, I want to uh, I want to uh, shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk sure. a little bit about um, where we are headed. Uh, you know, kind of in in healthcare recruitment. And so I think you sure. have a unique um, vantage point as the president of of NACR, so the National Association of, of Healthcare Recruitment. And uh, you know, you uh, recruited me in to to you know uh, do some board outreach for uh, for the organization. Uh, I know that you know we've got a, a big um, you know annual conference that we're planning, and we're we're getting speakers together and that type of thing. But as you you know look into you know 2023, what do you think some of the bigger topics that NACR uh, is going to be tackling uh, will be? And um, you know, I guess from your perspective, uh, what are some of the things that you're most excited about? Um, you know, in the industry, uh, you know, here uh, as we move into 2023. I have to tell you, so I, I, I laugh and, and I, I was doing some reflecting before we got on this uh, podcast today about how many conferences I've been to with NACR. I've started going to the actual NACR conferences in 2009, haven't looked back. Mm-hmm. I've been on the board for many years. I, I love to volunteer. I love to help out. I want to help us move forward, right? That's what it's all about. So I found some literature, literally little paper handouts from 2012 from a presentation and it was so funny one of them is innovation in recruitment Mm -hmm. matt kaiser who was at nas at the time who actually is now the director of talent acquisition at memorial herman health system he presented this conversation now what did he talk about he talked about employee referral programs how they should be 30 percent of your hires Mm. he talked about engagement with with using video he talked about um all of the ways that you can have like staff highlights, a day in the life mm-hmm. of videos. This was 10 years ago, right? Sounds like you're uh, a prophet. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Adam, he taught, same thing, NAS. He's still with NAS. He's a mm-hmm. VP with NAS. Matt Adam taught a class called Is Your Website Chasing Away A-Level Talent? Mm-hmm. So what was that talking about? Your applicant tracking system, mm-hmm. talking about how it needs to be easy, right? So I, I bring that up. And then I'm also going to throw more one more name out there, um, Jim Stroud who he was at the time, back in 2013, he spoke at our NACR conference. He was the director of um, sourcing at Findlay, which was Bernard Hodes at the time. He, He wrote a book called Resume Forensics. But what stuck with me there was when he was teaching us this boot camp class, like a sourcing boot camp, Mm -hmm. he talked about his time at Microsoft back in 2005 to 2008 Mm -hmm. and how he did videos Mm -hmm. with his phone. Mm And let's think, here we go, 10 years later, 14 years later, where are we? Yeah, We're still struggling with some of these same things. Yeah. Now, candidate experience to me has always been something that I feel like I, I'm, I'm going to brag. I feel like I'm pretty exceptional at, mm-hmm. right? Um, I've taken all of these lessons I've learned from all of these amazing people through NACR, all of the presentations that I've gone to. But we're really going to be focusing on messaging, sourcing, and how do you increase the and have a best candidate experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How do you find the candidates? How do you how do you engage with them? Not everybody's on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And and how do you, you know, source? And then how do you get them to actually commit to talking to you and then getting in the door for an interview? And mm-hmm. then how do you close the deal? And it's not about compensation. 
It's mm-hmm. really not. I fuss about compensation all day long. Mm-hmm. Maslow's, I always talk to people about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yep. Let's have a food water, food water shelter <laughs> conversation. Yep. But I feel like we need to focus on an immediate engagement and it needs to be personal. Now I'm going to give you an example. You'll appreciate this, Matt. So I'll I'll throw some props to Matt Reimer for Uh introducing me to this asynchronous video platform uh, called Quickie. And that's Mm Q-U-I-C-K-I. Make sure we got just the I on the end of that. And I used it this morning. So I'll give you an example. I had... um, I had a manager who reached out, or a director, actually she's an AVP, reached out to me last night via email. And yeah, I may have been checking my emails in the middle of the evening, but she said, hey, I really like this candidate. I want to move forward. I want to make sure she lives in a state we can recruit from because it's a remote position. I'm like, yep, 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 got mm-hmm. it. So I was going to email her this morning and I was going to send her a link to the position to officially apply because yeah. I had sourced her. Yeah. And I, I sourced her actually another great tool, Seek Out. Love, love, love. I'm just throwing props to everybody yeah. today. Yeah. Um, but it, these are tools that help me do hey, my job. So they're in the toolbox better, and they're working. Right? We want to know That's about them. That's right. We want to know about them. Um, so instead of sending her an email, mm-hmm. I thought, you know what? I'm going to jump on my quickie platform. I'm going to do a one-way video. Mm-hmm. And I made it directly to her. Her name happens to be Teresa. Mm -hmm. I just, I gave her a quick shout. It was a 30 second video Mm -hmm. embedded in the video. I put a link to our benefits and I told her, I like to be transparent. I want you to look at our benefits now. Mm -hmm. That's important. Mm -hmm. Again, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I, I, I frame every conversation around what your pay is, what our total compensation looks like as you're going through the interview process. I've already heard back from her. Wow. She was so excited. She goes, yep. I can't believe you just sent me a video. Yeah. Now, let's take that a step further. Friday afternoon, for whatever reason, my managers, my hiring managers love to tell me they want to make job offers on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> we partner with our amazing business you partners. And every other healthcare I know, right? in the right? U.S. feels the oh same my way. Gosh, we like got to get this Friday done. Afternoon. It's 3 o'clock. Yeah. Friday afternoon. So our business partners work with us to help make sure that we're coming up with the right salary, looking at internal comp, mm-hmm. you know, internal equity, et cetera. And I'm like, okay, great. Now I could just say, oh yeah, you know, there's going to be an offer. But what I've decided to do is again, using my video platform, I send them a video. Hmm. Hey, we're making an offer. We're getting ready to make an offer. We're mm-hmm. so excited about this. Mm-hmm. We hope that this is going to be the first step, you know, towards you joining. And I call it our Johns Hopkins healthcare family. Mm-hmm. Then I send them a link if I already haven't done so. And even if I have, again, here's a link to our benefits. Now I'm hoping Friday afternoon, they're going to take the weekend to look at the benefits. Yeah. On this past Monday, I made a job offer. This person literally had an offer Friday morning from a competitor. Hmm. They were about to accept it by Friday afternoon, but they got my video. You slowed the train down. They paused, yeah. looked at our total compensation. And on Monday, they accepted our job. You won. Now, I won. There and uh, any, anybody who knows me, super competitive. So <laughs> it's it's the about the engagement, yeah. right? Yeah. And we don't let it stop there. I actually do it. Our, our, our onboarding is a little bit longer with some of our out-of-state candidates. So mm-hmm. about two and a half weeks into the onboarding, I send them a video. Mm-hmm. How's your onboarding going? Mm-hmm. You know? Then when they've started, I send them another video. Mm-hmm. 
is this everything I said it would be, or was I full of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> and if you, I was, you shared that video with me. I love that one. I did. Yeah. It's like, I want to make sure mm-hmm. that it's everything I said it would be. And if it isn't, you need to hold me accountable mm-hmm. to that because I need to change my tune when I'm talking to people. Mm-hmm. So hmm. that's that engagement, that the taking it to the next level mm-hmm. and making it personal as if we're together in a room. That's a big deal. Yeah. And when they reply back using the video platform, that's so much fun to me. Yeah. So, yeah, it is, yeah, it's fun to get that back. And I, I think there's been so much, um, you know, advancement here recently in HR technology that you've got to be out tinkering and trying some of these these new things. And, you know, I, I think to support you know, what you're trying to do from a candidate experience perspective. That's a case study there that, that um, you know, exists as it relates to you slowing down somebody um, and pausing them for a second and, and kind of getting in the game there on uh, late, late on a Friday. So that's great. What's yeah. uh, so, so, um, and we're, we're just about a time here. I know we got um, a, uh, we got some other meetings to run to here today, but um when uh, if, if I haven't been to a Knacker conference, um, and so you know you're sitting here as the the president, you've been with it, uh, you know, been with the organization since you know 2005, um, and I'm uh, I'm considering doing it. Uh, you know, maybe I need to go ask my boss for some you know, resources to to go to go uh, uh, to to the conference. What what would you um, suggest uh, is you know the value of that uh, experience sure. and you know do you have any practical tips for folks listening um, to to kind of go justify it um, you know to their leadership on on why um, you know they should support them being out of the office why should why should they pay for the airfare or whatever um, to come hang out with us uh, in Austin. Uh, and it's it's uh, in the summertime as well. It's Austin. in July. I know. Yeah. July in Austin. Yep. <laughs> so personally, I could just say that I got involved at my local chapter, which helped send me to my first NACRA conference. Mm, okay. So if there's, but if there's not a local chapter for you to participate in, the justification for me would be every best practice I've ever learned has come through NACRA or come through people that I've met mm-hmm. through NACRA, right? So I think you. It's the networking Mm -hmm. and it's what you bring back. I think that we as an association, we curate, we curate education and we curate um, the ability for you to come back to your organization and not necessarily spend a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't, some of the technology you have to spend money on, Mm -hmm. let's face it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I I learned about like the air and the app about employee Mm -hmm. referrals. Well, Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a spend. Yeah, sure. But when I learned about how to do an intake session, that was just a one pager that somebody gave to me. Mm-hmm. And that was actually David Cesari when mm-hmm. he was running Clean Human Capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gave that to us. And I, I, I took it back and I was like, oh, Perfect I'm going to do this. tool that I can use, deploy And tomorrow. I could implement mm-hmm. it the next day. Yeah. So that's the argument is that, you know, when I met Rollis Fontenot, he did a conversation about how to do videos, mm-hmm. right? Like I... And I, st- I just use my iPhone, right? Like yeah. that's what I use. But he taught me some tricks on how to do it. Yeah. And then he connected me with people that could help me kind of fine tune that with the messaging and asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. So to my leaders, it's about, hey, I'm going to help you close these deals better and get the hires in because it is, you're closing a deal, right? Mm-hmm. We're closing a deal on a person here and it's we're changing their life and we're changing our life when we hire them. So for my hiring managers, for my boss, it's about, how can I get and work smarter? Mm-hmm. How can I be efficient? 
how can I be ahead of my competition? Mm -hmm. Because whoever made that job offer to that person this past Friday, they did nice that they made them a job offer, but I won. And I can tell you, I, I could tell you this all the way back to 2005, when I have candidates tell me, the reason why I am coming to you and your organization is in part because of you, Teresa, mm -hmm. because you answered every question. And why do I answer every question? Because I did a good intake session. Where did that come from? That intake session form. Mm -hmm. The things that I've learned and built over the years have come through this NACR conference, right? Have mm -hmm. come through the networking. When I have a question about something, I just reach out to one of my peers. I don't have to find an email. I just sent it out to our listserv. And next thing you know, I have 100 people responding. Yep. So it's that kind of education where it's a game changer. And yeah. when you can learn how to fine tune that, and not everybody's meant to be a recruiter, just like not everybody's meant to be at the bedside. It takes a, a certain temperament and mm -hmm. personality. Yeah. But when you can be around like-minded professionals and really pull that energy together and you can you can make a difference and and think about it at the end of the day what we do we make a difference in patient lives yeah yeah and if we if 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 nothing else i feel like knacker remembers that we hone in on that we we always connect purpose to yep. purpose yep. so well, that Tracy, would be you're, what I would uh, say. <laughs> yeah, you're making a, a significant um, difference in the uh, you know healthcare and the healthcare TA community specifically, and and uh, it was great getting a chance to um, you know get to know you better here today. I mean, we know each other fairly well, well enough to be uh, you know co-board members here and work on different projects together. But wow, I'm just I'm inspired by your background and and your endless energy. If uh, folks want to interact with you, um, you know, they want to learn sure. more about, uh, you know, some of these tips and tricks that you're talking about, want to learn more about NAC or, you know, what, what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you? Oh yeah. Just connect with me on LinkedIn. Okay. I am going to, I'm going to prop something up here. So about when I moved actually to Maryland, which is about seven years ago, and I was creating that new grad nurse residency, I actually created a new grad nurse residency group on LinkedIn. It's a closed mm. group. Okay. It's meant for new graduate nurses and it's meant for healthcare recruiters. I try to keep it clean. I try to not let anybody in who is neither a healthcare mm. recruiter or a new graduate nurse. And I have conversations probably twice a week with new graduate nurses about, can you help me to connect with somebody in this part of the country? Mm. And it's a great group. There's about 5,000 plus people that belong to it. Wow. So I, I'd say message me. I'm happy to send you an invite to that. Happy to connect. I, uh, I feel like I'm a, a unpaid sometimes consultant in the world yeah. of healthcare recruiting because I just love it so much. And if somebody's new, I want to help them. Yeah. Well, that go-giving, um, you know, spirit, that go-giving mentality is what makes you who you are and, and such a great person. And so, um, Teresa, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we might have to do this again sometime. Uh, that went fast. Uh, and so uh, I appreciate you much. I appreciate everything you're doing. And, and again, thanks for joining the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you now. All right. We want to thank you for listening to TA in the Trenches. We are produced by Iron Mike and his team at Ironbound Media. Keep up the great work, team. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and check out all of our episodes at knacker.com. That's N-A-H-C-R.com. You also can find me out on LinkedIn where you'll find quick show riffs. Feel free to ping me. I always respond. Bye for now.